Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert with my host, Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. And before we get into the latest Texans, quick reminder that yesterday had a great Rockets conversation with Rockets Chop Shops. Cooper Klein, go check it out if you haven't seen it already. Later in the show, we look at the Texans walking wounded. But hell, Sean, I'm still on Stroud 9. I need at least a few more minutes to bask in it. Did he pick up his Presidential Medal of Freedom in the last couple of days? What's he up to? <laughs> I like Stroud 9. That's really good. Um, well, maybe not a Presidential Medal of Freedom, but he got AFC Offensive Rookie of the Month. That's that's pretty cool. That's something. You know, he needs to, uh, I guess, now buy a mantle so he can put that on there. There will be many, many more to come, I think. Uh, rookies of the month, rookies of the week, whatever the heck they do uh, in the NFL these days. But, man, yeah, I've watched that game just, you know, the one time. But I still keep thinking about that flip play from Devin Singletary to C.J. Stroud in the fourth quarter. That was so damn cool. And, you know, we were just kind of can't wait to ask Stroud about that because, you know, I, for me, I don't know if he was asked about it on uh, Sunday, but somebody asked him today about just the instinctual kind of player that he is naturally. And he was like, yeah, you know, I can go all the way back to middle school. But more specifically to that play, that wasn't drawn up. That was just him balling out. That was him, yeah. at least how he described it, just going. And if he needed a block, he was going to block. In the way that he described it, it almost sounded like, it wasn't really meant for Singletary to toss him the ball because as they're running, he's telling Singletary, come on, come on, come on, come on. Like as in, hey, follow me. I'm going to block this dude. Not like, come on, give me the ball. <laughs> yeah, He got the ball and it worked out. So uh, afterward, it was kind of funny. He'd said, uh, somebody asked him what uh, Bobby Slovak's reaction was. And he was like, be careful. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, exactly. Just for pleasure, here, here's where Stroud ranks among all NFL quarterbacks. Our friend Cody Stutz uh, posted this, and let's just run through it. He's number three in yards per attempt, number four in QB rating, number seven in passing yards and touchdowns, and number 12 in ESPN's QBR, their rating. Sean, the two guys right behind him in QBR, Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, we are both yeah. coming up. Yeah, uh, coming up. You know, you've seen one already. Um, so hopefully the Texans are just as ready for that second go around with the Jaguars as they were the first time, because uh, that was a hell of a showing. It's going to be interesting for this uh, Sunday's game against Joe Burrow and these Bengals. I was just kind of pouring over their team stats and maybe they're a little bit, bit misleading because obviously, you know, the first few weeks, Joe Burrow, not himself injured, you know, banged up, limited with the calf. We asked a few of the Texan players today when we went in the locker room, you know, hey, what have you seen from Burrow in recent weeks compared to the first few weeks? And Sheldon Rankins in particular was like, different dude. He's much more mobile. And that in, in and of itself just kind of makes the offense that much better. The fact that he's able to move around in the pocket, extend plays. I mean, you know how important that is. We talk about it all the time with our quarterbacks, but particularly one that, you know, you demand that from, you expect that from, that makes that offense go round. If he's not able to do that, then you're limited. And they look might be facing one of the best, if not the best receiving cores in the league. Uh, I thought they'd faced a pretty damn good one this past week, and they fared well. 
Um, it's just, it, it gets tough. This is when, you know, you're playing like a good team. You want to be treated like a good team. You're going to play other good teams and the expectations rise. And so I think it's going to be really, really important for this team to come out and show that they can start fast on the road. And, and look, at the end of the day, if this team has an opportunity to win, whether it be staving the Bengals offense off or, you know, Stroud's got to go get you another late score or something like that. If you've got a chance to win in the fourth quarter, to me, that's market success at this point in time. Even coming off of a, a nice quality win, a thrilling win, probably the most exciting win in Texans history against the Bucks. If you can give yourself an opportunity to win a game on the road against a team like the Bengals, a team that, you know, was a lot of people's Super Bowl favorite, at least to be there preseason, uh, certainly when healthy, they should be. Um, that would be huge. Yeah, and you talk about Joe Burrow and what he's got to face with the Texans. Not much, because on Wednesday's injury report, about half the team was on it, Sean. And if you've ever had a conversation with D'Amico Ryans, maybe you passed by one time three years ago, you're questionable for Sunday. I don't know if you're going to be there. And I noticed uh, one thing, though, Derek Stingley, boy, he would help. He was designated for return. Sean, any chances we see Stingley Sunday? Man, you know, looking at him today in practice, he just kind of blended in. He looked like everybody else that was full go uh, in practice for the Texans. Now, officially on the uh, injury report today for Derek Stingley, he was listed as limited, but he didn't look limited to me. I mean, maybe he didn't just participate in certain team activities, uh, maybe more full speed stuff. Maybe he wasn't out there for maybe more of the walk through jog through type thing. I don't know. But watching defensive Indy today do look pretty damn good. <laughs> you know, they were just doing what they normally do. They're one on ones and just kind of going through your little footwork um, drills, just read work, you know, the read steps and stuff like that. So he looked pretty good. I would honestly gun to my head. I'd be surprised to see Derek Stingley this week for a multitude of reasons, but none other than, look, it's a soft tissue injury. There's typically a ramp-up process of practicing, I think, a full week, and it just seems as though this Texans team, with Derek Stingley anyway, and look, this is a new regime, I get it, but he's also a very high draft choice whom they – should come to expect a lot from and need a lot from uh, this year when healthy at some point and then in years to come, hopefully, uh, a lot from. But I feel like they've almost adopted Dusty Baker's mindset of like, all right, if he's good to go, I'm going to give him an extra day. If Derek Stingley feels like he's good to go, I wouldn't be surprised if the Texans give him another week to where he can practice in full every day. Something along those lines because, hey, you haven't seen the guy on a practice field in 11 weeks. And I know a lot of work can be done away from a practice field when you're rehabbing a hamstring injury. But nonetheless, being around a team, it's important. I know this would be huge for the Texans if they can get Stingley back with potentially no Steven Nelson or at least a banged up one. Nelson didn't practice today. You know, Shaquille Griffin and Tavier Thomas and Jalen Petrie, you might not have Jimmy Ward. You're really thin in the secondary, so it would be great if you got Sting back. I just don't anticipate it. Yeah, it's not 11 weeks, is it? Didn't he get hurt maybe two or three weeks into the season? You're right. I was think I said 11 weeks because I was thinking of the Juice Scruggs hamstring injury. Yeah, we're going to talk about him in a second. But, yeah, you mentioned it. From what, from what I heard, I thought Steven Nelson was out. The starting cornerbacks, mm -hmm. according to Aaron Wilson, he, he feels like it, it's a very good possibility. It could be Shaq Griffin and Kadar Holman. They also – 
yeah. pulled safety Graylin Arnold back from the dead. I'm scared to death, Sean, of Joe Burrow against a bunch of backup corners and safeties because it's looking very strongly like that's what you're facing. And the other thing about it, just think about it. Why would you put Derek Stingley out there and risk anything when exactly. you're, you're probably going to take the L? I mean, this is this is one that you might just have to take as a schedule loss with all the other right. injuries. I mean, they're certainly not going to be looking at it like that, and you shouldn't, especially when you've seen what this offense is capable of. You know, look, they're they're not going to change their approach. You won't ever hear them or hardly any any NFL team say that. But uh, I mean, I, from a fan perspective, I guess defensively and really both sides of the ball, when you're looking at all these DNPs today, hell, there were eleven of them. There were 22 guys, I think, on the injury report today. Eleven of them did not practice. Uh, seven or eight of them, you know, were limited. And the other ones that you're always having to keep an eye on were full, uh, full participants. But what about the super important guys that I saw not practicing? Like the the names that just jumped out at me, Damian Pierce, which we know what what he's going through. But Will Anderson and Blake Cashman, what's your best guess on those three? I assume Sean Pierce isn't likely, but are Will Anderson and Blake Cashman that serious? Uh, I actually saw Cash walking to the training room and he looked fine. I mean, he's got a knee on the injury report. He looked fine. I saw him in the locker room in good spirits, chopping it up, talking to the dudes. It maybe feels a little bit more precautionary at this point in time, especially maybe since, look, you've had to rely upon him. He's playing the best football of his career. You're really super thin in the linebacker department anyway. So they've typically treated like Wednesdays as kind of a "Mm, let's get back right healthy kind of a day before ramping it up on Thursday and Friday's practices. So wait until Thursday before you make a judgment call on, you know, those guys that maybe raised an eyebrow today. I wouldn't worry about Will Anderson. At least I was told I shouldn't worry about Will Anderson today uh, by a couple people close to his situation. Damian Pierce is a big I don't know at this point in time. He's got the ankle. We know the ankle held him out, you know, for eight, nine weeks at the end of last season. So who knows there? Um, The other one, you know, that's big is Jimmy Ward, you know, soft tissue. I would be surprised if he was actually to play this weekend just because he's older guy, soft tissue. That's not something you can just rush through unless it's just something minor. And they're just being extra precautious precautious because they know how thin they already are. Cashman's a big one, man. Um, I'm anxious to see practice tomorrow morning and see if he's out there at least in a limited fashion because this linebacker core needs that dude out there making plays with all the defensive injuries do you see D'Amico blitzing more or is that just asking for more trouble with Joe Burrow I don't know I haven't seen the numbers uh on how Burrow is against the blitz and I also haven't seen the numbers yet on what D'Amico's sort of tendency has been over the course of the last four weeks let's say by his defense the more comfortable they've gotten the better football they've played more complimentary football if they've shown a tendency to just do that more so without seeing those numbers I don't know I just I I think D'Amico was asked a really interesting question today in regard to hey look you're a defensive guy, a very successful coordinator in this league, the success that C.J. Stroud is having, we talk about his ability to not make the same mistake twice, and the guy just continues to get better, literally week in, week out, day in and day out. Is there, like, something that you can help him with in terms of anticipating what 
he should expect from an opposing defense. Basically, hey, D'Amico, if you're game planning against me, what would you do if you saw this, this, and this? And D'Amico gave a very diplomatic answer. But if you read between the lines, I think it's kind of interesting in that he's very keen on picking up tendencies even from his own quarterback. You know, they've digested a lot of Joe Burrow film already. D'Amico Ryans, I guarantee you, I I don't know the numbers, but something tells me that Joe Burrow's pretty damn good against the Blitz. Moves well. He's he's, He's always been able to get rid of the football. And Burrow, his... You know, just the way that he plays the game has been kind of a comp that I've heard, you know, in groups in regards to what C.J. Stroud has looked like, you know, his first eight, nine weeks in the league. So I would just kind of presume that D'Amico is going to be very measured, calculated on how they attack Burrow. It boils down to good coverage. And this is where you might think twice about Derek Stingley. If you really believe that he can go, my God, you really need your good cover guys this week in If you can get Stingley out there healthy, if you can get Nelson out there healthy, the Texans have that much better a chance of hanging in this game and maybe even winning it. Yeah, they keep talking about comps for C.J. Stroud, and I'll just tell you what my comps are. I'm I'm debating between Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and Joe Montana. I'll let you know, Sean, which one I decide, but it's it's one of those three guys that, you know. I'm terrible. I'm terrible at that stuff. Like, if people somebody asked me today they were having a discussion amongst the media about it and i was there and they asked me it's like dude i don't know i'm terrible with comps like yeah i've seen all of these guys play now granted montana i got the last few years of him whenever i was a kid when he was with the chiefs and broke the oilers hearts once upon a time ago but i mean i i don't know i I don't know who he's like i just i just know i like him he looks like the the complete package and my comp Right now is C.J. Stroud. Maybe C.J. Stroud's the first C.J. Stroud because right now as a rookie, there aren't a lot of dudes that have come into the league before and did what he's doing right now. And the guys that you can stack him up against are probably all the dudes that you just named. They're Hall of Famers or future Hall of Famers. So it's a pretty damn good start. Yeah, people didn't figure it out. Yeah, my tongue's a little bit in cheek with that. But, hey, it's hopeful. It's hopeful, kids. Why not? Why not dream? Uh, it's looking good. If anybody was hoping, by the way, for Juice Scruggs, no sign of him, as Sean said. And, Sean, I noticed, though, that Michael Dieter's pro football focus grade was 61. To put that in perspective, Jared Patterson had a 60.4 grade this season. So yeah. he marked about there, you know. I guess they don't hate Michael Dieter now as much as I thought they did before because uh, they'd passed him over numerous times to where he could have easily stepped in and been their left guard because he was completely healthy and has been knock on wood all season. So, uh, yeah, hey, great for Michael Dieter. Uh, people, whenever the Texans signed him, people always said how smart he was. And I remember talking to him during training camp and he echoed, you know, same sentiments that a lot of other players did that, hey, when I'd ask him, you know, People say this uh, offense is very quarterback friendly. And I think it was even Dalton Schultz who said, yeah, it's quarterback friendly. It's running back friendly. It's tight end friendly. I mean, it's it's it, it's a voluminous offense to learn. There's a lot to it. But at the end of the day, it's football. And because Slowick makes it fun, it's very easy to understand in that regard. And Dieter kind of said the same things uh, and broke it down very similarly to Dalton Schultz when I spoke to him in training camp. And so from that point in time, I was like, you know, okay. Like I've heard from various different levels, you know, whether you be tight end, O-linemen, quarterbacks, receivers, 
They're all saying pretty much the same thing. It's just voluminous. Hell, Pierce called it a damn Bible. Nobody's had more time to sit back, watch, and learn, and study, and learn from others' mistakes like Michael Dieter. So the fact that he was able to come in, the fact that he's been a starting center in this league before, I'm not surprised by that grade. In fact, I, I started thinking earlier today just how damn lucky the Texans were and have been and really are with the depth of this offensive line. Like maybe let's start to give them a little bit of credit too with what they've been able to accomplish. All right, yeah, I get it. The run game stinks and there are a large reason why. But in terms of the most important job that they've had charged to them since the Texans drafted C.J. Stroud, They've kept him damn clean since week two. And so I think you got to give him a lot of credit in that regard. Yeah, give Casario credit because he's pieced together these guys and he keeps signing guys. And while I have some issues with his linebacking core outside of, you know, Blake Cashman was a great signing, but I really have no issue with the offensive linemen and also give credit to the new line coach because I think he's done a fantastic job as well, Sean. Yeah, there's got to be a point in time where we question, you know, the the scheme or how it's being used, how it's being executed. And so I think, yeah, look, Strausser certainly deserves a lot of credit for coaching dudes up. But I mean, at some point in time, I just I can't figure out why, like everybody else, right? Why this run game is so bad. How could you be so good at one thing but so poor at another when, look, we're just six, seven months removed from talking about a breakout rookie and Damian Pierce. Like, how good could this guy be on a team with a quarterback that's actually trying to win football games that actually has an offensive coordinator that knows what the hell he's doing? He's gotten markedly worse. Is it his fault? Is it the line's fault? Is it the scheme's fault? Is it the way that the scheme is being taught? I don't know. I don't think anybody honestly knows at this point in time. I mean, if we did, we'd be talking about that, about why, and, and hey, go fix it. But look, nine weeks, almost 10 weeks into the season, we're still trying to figure out why you can't run the football and how you had the leading rusher for the freaking Buffalo Bills for a couple of years and Devin Singletary as your backup running back and a breakout rookie and Damian Pierce, and you can't do better than 3.2 yards per carry. What's going on? Yeah, I, I say it's a lack of nastiness by your offensive linemen. They're, they're good at pass blocking, but it takes a little bit of meanness to be a great offensive lineman run blocking and, and yeah. also lack of nastiness by your tight end group. The, those two things are a, a big problem. And, and, and Titus point. at left guard is a massive issue because he looks lost out there when they do anything but tell him to block straight ahead. Yeah, and look, D'Amico Ryans isn't going to say anything uh, about injuries. He's not going to say anything particularly about Titus Howard or moving anybody around on the offensive line. But he was asked directly today about the possibility or the consideration of moving Titus Howard back to right tackle. And he said, again, like he'd said numerous times, we're going to play the best five guys out there period, end of story. I'm paraphrasing that last part, but they've played with us before, you know, on the unofficial depth chart that they released at the beginning of every game week. We saw, I think it was last week, Titus Howard listed back at right tackle. Well, what did he play this past week? Left guard. And on the unofficial depth chart going into this Bengals game, where's he listed at? Left guard. (laughs) You know, I don't think there's any plans to change unless – 
health or the lack thereof um, forces them to do so. The Texans signed a kicker. Matt Amendola looks to be Fairbairn's replacement. He's bounced around for three seasons, 18 for 26 on his NFL attempts, which is not good. Beyond 39 yards, he's two for nine. So, Sean, is it four-down territory for Stroud if they're anywhere between the 20 and the 40-yard line because he can't make that one? And I just think if you're C.J. Stroud, you have to change your game plan when you're between the 40 and 20 and go, okay, if I can get third and seven to third and five or third and 10 to third and eight, we're going to be going for it anyway. So don't worry about down and distance on third down when you get between the 40 and the 20. That's cool. I get those historic numbers, the career numbers for Matt Amendola. But uh, D'Amico Ryans was asked today, hey, is three days enough to you know see what you need to see out of a kicker if, if Amendola can offer anything to the team this week? And D'Amico <laughs> laughed his ass off like the rest of the room. It was like, hey, we got a freaking kicker ready at halftime. <laughs> his name was Daria Gumbawale, and he booted a 29-yard field goal that was you know the difference in the game. So, yeah, I think three days is enough time. The first three kicks that Matt Amendola had today, they started the practice off with a special teams period like they do normally on Wednesdays. You know, I'm at a weird angle, but the first one had to be just split right down the middle, a freaking boot from 45. Then they moved a little bit further back, and it looked to be like a 50-yard field goal. Bam, right down the middle. Mind you, this is in a pretty windy setting and he did have the wind to his back, but it was kind of going left to right at his back. The last kick that he made and attempted, he was on the other side of the damn field. It had to be, had to be a 60-some-odd-yard attempt. I'll say 65 max, somewhere between 60 and 65. Mind you, I'm at a weird angle. That dude booted the hell out of it and made it, no problem. That thing in the wind probably would have been good from, like, mid to upper 60s. I don't think he's got a problem with like leg strength. Maybe the wind helps a little bit, but at least you have a guy that has done that before. Like that's his real job as <laughs> an NFL kicker before. So, you know, if he has a good week of practice, then you get a feel just as good about him, at least better about him than you do uh, Darian Gumbawale. And uh, I don't think you have to go to such desperate lengths to, uh, you know, make any area fourth down territory. The forecast if anybody's interested, is in the 50s for the Texans and Bengals up in Cincinnati. Not sure about when. Doesn't look like it's going to be anything extraordinary as far as when goes. Sean, I didn't even bring this up on Sunday because I didn't really even think about it till later. But would Dari have been available? Would he have been on the roster if Damian Pierce was healthy? Has he been on the active roster when Damian's been healthy? Because that, that's a big deal. Like, if he wasn't on the roster, then what do they do on Sunday? Uh, that's a really good point. I mean, my guess uh, would be maybe uh, Cam Johnston. You know, at least he understands, you know, foot to football mechanics. You know, he's got that relationship, I guess. Uh, he, but he's thought- the holder. He's the holder. So I, I was wondering, you know, you need a field goal kick. Is that the issue of why he couldn't do it? They, or they were worried about him getting injured? Like, have you heard, did the Texans answer that question at all? Like, wh- why not Cam Johnston? How, how is it Dare instead of him? Because, you know, I guess Davis Mills could hold. I'm sure he's had to help, help, hold some stuff, but it, it, it's going to throw everything off maybe if he's holding instead of 
your normal holder. So I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And I'll actually, uh, I'll actually ask that when I get the opportunity, uh, Frank Ross is going to speak tomorrow. So I'll definitely hit him up about that. But my, my guess initially would be like, well, you know, before punters, like who would typically hold for, you know, situations like that quarterbacks, right? So Case Keenum could certainly do it. Davis Mills could certainly do it. Now Keenum was inactive. Okay. So fair, but Mills could certainly do it. Yeah. Um, maybe that's a possibility, but uh, just to answer your initial question, probably Darian Gubawale has only been active for three games total this season. He's been inactive every other week since he played week two, I believe it was, uh, and then was inactive for four or five straight weeks. He's been active for the last two. So yeah, chances are Damian Pierce is, you know, good to go. There ain't no Darian Gumbawale. I will definitely hit Frank Ross up about that situation, that scenario. I don't know if I'll get anything because Frank's usually very buttoned up and very diplomatic in terms of uh, their lines of thinking and, and, and that type of stuff. But it is an interesting question. Yeah, just a reminder that a lot of dominoes had to drop, drop before <laughs> Dare was going to be kicking field goals. And one of those do dominoes was, yes, him on the active roster. If we forgot about that, he was there mostly because Damian Pierce was not. Mm -hmm. The Bengals are favored by seven. Sean, how do you see this one? I mean, should the Bengals just spot the Texans seven since half the team's in traction? Do we get like a, you know, some sort of, you know, golf, uh, what's it called handicap? Can we get a handicap here? Yeah, I, I saw that. I mean, I, you could have guessed that even two, three weeks ago, they were going to be favored by at least a touchdown. Um, there's no question. The Texans could be playing world beater football. And it was going to be a touchdown uh, type of game going in. Uh, and I think it has a lot to do with just the emergence of Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals are playing good football now. You know, they've won four straight games. The Texans have won four of their last six. And the success that they've had and most of those, look, is coming home. They've got to be a better road team. And just I, I started to get to this earlier, just kind of pouring over the Cincinnati Bengals stats. You know, you're looking at them in, in, in relation to the rest of the league. There's not a lot that they do exceptionally well. I mean, their numbers offensively, defensively are in and around middle to bottom of the pack. But let's look and see what this team has done over the course of the last three weeks, and it's a stark difference. So their injury report, number one, and number 1A is vastly different than that of the Houston Texans. Um, all of their big-time receivers – practiced i know jamar chase you know there's been some doubt about him but he was kind of very tongue-in-cheek laughing about and in good spirits uh when asked earlier today about his availability for sunday it certainly looks and sounds like that dude's gonna play and i would guess that's the case so there's no canceling jamar chase out if he was to be out then you feel that much better about not having jimmy ward at your disposal you can just x that mess out because a team like the Texans going on the road, you need all of your dudes going in to feel pretty good about this one. So, look, Joe Burrow's going to be tough. They got a sucker who's a pain in the butt uh, defensively, uh, Henderson, that's got like eight, eight and a half sacks, a lot of TFLs this year. He is a massive disruptor defensively for them. Their secondary, they don't drop many opportunities to pick you off. They will make you pay. And so I worry about that because – if you think back, Robert, like over the course of the last couple to three games for C.J. Stroud, he's gotten pretty damn lucky in, in not throwing interceptions where 
there's been some tipped balls. There have been some that, you know, defensive backs haven't been able to come up with that. Hey, look, you do that on the road against a really good team, a team that doesn't miss those, that doesn't shoot themselves in the foot, that capitalizes when given the opportunity. It could be it could be a rough, rough day for C.J. Stroud and the Texans. I think if they are really far away like they are today from going in there uh, anywhere close to full strength. All right, let's uh, switch gears a little bit. Just a quick Astros managerial update. The Angels hired Ron Washington. The Cubs hire Craig Council. Those two guys off the list. Meanwhile, the Astros haven't announced any serious candidates at this point. Dana Brown reportedly likes Joe Espada, but Jim Crane wants a big name. I don't trust the reports. They get Astros stuff wrong at times. But, John, you'll be happy to know Dana Brown said he hopes to have Lance McCullers ready by early July, and I think he meant 2024, but with Lance, you never know. I think he means 2024, right? <laughs> God, early July. I mean, that's crazy. Early July, the dude went out like the second day of spring training, right? <laughs> yeah. Early July. I mean, I guess it's better than nothing. Um, cool. I think if you're the Astros, and look, maybe Dana Brown alluded to this, like, okay, hey, you're going to make – we're, you're going to get us a little excited, give us a little expectation, a little hope by saying, hey, McCullers could be ready this season in July. Fine. Cool. But didn't he also say that they're going to be looking at adding a potential starter this offseason as well? So I take that and I say, yes, good. Do it. Thank you. Uh, at least that's the first thing that I maybe the second thing that I agree with Dana Brown with this offseason. One is liking Joe Espada as an internal candidate and the guy. Uh, two is what I just mentioned. I like those things. Go look at another starter. But man, the one I disagree with is him talking about outfield is not a priority. Like you're looking at backup catcher and all of these other things, relievers more than you are your outfield situation. And if you're going to tell me that in the same breath, you better add that Chaz McCormick is your center fielder going forward. And you better add that you've got a plan for left field because as of right now, they don't. Even if you told me Chaz is going to be your left fielder going forward, well, what the hell is your plan in center field? Mauricio Dubon? I don't like him there. I like him okay, as a hold, 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 hold on, hold on. I, I, I guess we haven't talked about it. I, I just, I disagree with that. I, look, the Astros... You, you can find a center fielder if you need a guy, say, at the deadline. The Astros aren't going to die if the main outfielders are Dubon, McCormick, and Jordan Alvarez. Because Jordan Alvarez is going to have – he's going to have to play left field. You're going to want to rest some other guys. It's not going to be Jordan at DH all the time. So he's going to play some left. Mm -hmm. And Chaz is going to play some center. And Mauricio Dubon will likely play some center. But I also have made the point that Jacob Melton, who has been really good in double-A – and is this was a former second round pick, a guy that they're really high on. There's a good chance that you might give that guy a shot as a, a as a center fielder because you know this guy's got power, he's got speed. You know he's not a kid because he was a, a a college guy. You know this is somebody that's going to be ready within the next year. So you you could get Jacob Melton. Look, your priority is and should and always should be pitching. The Astros have an all-star right fielder, Chaz McCormick, who, whether he's playing left or center, put all-star numbers up this past year. Yeah. And they've got an MVP candidate in Jordan Alvarez, maybe the best hitter in baseball. That's their outfield, along with... Yeah, but he's not your everyday outfielder. 
Yeah, <laughs> but I'm saying he's gonna. But I'm saying he's going to play some outfield, and in the times that he plays some outfield, Chaz will be playing center field. At other times, it could be Mauricio Dubon, but you could have a young guy at center field. Look, you're, you're losing what Dana Brown just said. You're losing Hector Neris and Phil Maitens. You've got to figure out some way to pay some money for the bullpen. That That's way more important, 99 billion times more important. And you don't have a lot of money to play with because of so many guys are eligible for arbitration. You you just have a few million dollars. I don't expect them to, to sign some big-name starter, starting pitcher. I would be surprised if they have the money because that would send that would send them way into – the tax and I don't know uh, you may not have all the money to get a frontline guy like that but you've got bodies too you know you can explore the trade market I think that's something Dana Brown's definitely got to look at um I'm not saying not it's yeah priorities pitching we talk about the importance of it every single year in the postseason but also a priority in my opinion should be outfield depth uh, because how many games every season is Jordan Alvarez, you know, going to play? What can you pencil in for? How confident are you in that? Um, how confident are you that Chaz McCormick has actually turned a corner? Uh, and this is going to be a closer version as to who he is versus, you know, two seasons ago. Look, Michael Brantley doesn't exist. Lance McCullers, you should you should operate like he doesn't exist. Go out there and look hard for a good quality starting pitcher. Go out there and get some of the best bullpen talent you can that's available. And if it's not available, see if you can make it available via trade. I think these are all avenues that you have to explore for the Astros. If now you thought that thorn in your side in your own division was just going to be the Seattle Mariners, well, now you've got the Texas Rangers dip won the damn World Series. And they've shown the propensity that they're going to do whatever they need to do. Pitching, hitting doesn't matter. They're going to go buy. They're going to go get whatever they need to get. We talked about this before, probably the last couple of three off seasons. The success of the Astros is going to make teams do some really stupid things. You thought a lot of what the Texas Rangers were doing in terms of spending stupid money may not work out. Well, it did. Now you've got to reload yourselves in some key spots and, Dana Brown, until he does it, I mean, I'm going to be looking at him a little bit with a side eye, and certainly Jim Crane and Jeff Bagwell, whatever the hell role, however significant they're playing in this, they get the side eye as well. First of all, I'm tired of people saying, oh, I don't think Chaz McCormick can do it again this year. I don't think Chaz McCormick's going to get it. He's just gotten better and better and better and better. He's got a great eye. He's got power. He's got speed. If you want to doubt him defensively, fine as a center fielder, but don't doubt him Otherwise, Chas McCormick is a really darn good hitter, and you've got a guy that you've been able to count on at a cheap price. Kyle Tucker is good. Like, you can't put – I mean, this idea that Astros fans think, okay, let's just put an all-star out there at every single position. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's ridiculous. And look, if you're going to tell me, oh, you can't depend on a young guy. And by the way, this organization, their strength besides Jacob Melton is in the outfield. They've got other guys. That's one of their strengths, one of their very few strengths. When you go down and look at them in the, in, in the minor league system with everything that's happened over the last few years is outfield, even with the loss of those two guys that they traded away for Verlander. But seriously, I mean, if, if, if you're telling me, hey, don't give a young guy a chance in the outfield because we're trying to win the World Series. Well, don't give a young guy a chance. Signed, Yonor Diaz, J.P. France, Jeremy Pena, Luis Garcia. Like we can go back for seven years where a young guy for the Astros in the organization that nobody believed in or nobody thought was going to do anything has stepped up, Sean. 
and we know yeah. it. So, so, so I'm like, like, but you know what you can't find real, real easily in your minor league system because there's not anybody because we know because we needed guys that, that could pitch, starters, relievers. We know what we don't have. We don't have guys ready to go because if we did, we would have seen them the last two months of the season. Yeah, no, I mean, that's 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 totally fair. I mean, maybe there's a couple of guys that uh, make you think, you know, in spring training, you know, Aragetti is one of them. Um, the Astros, I mean, that might come into play. Who knows? But, I mean, man, I'm really intrigued by Hunter Brown and J.P. France, you know, the years that they had stepping into roles when um, they they weren't anticipating doing such. I mean, France particularly was thrust into that role, you know, because of injury. And he was tremendous for the Astros. I mean, who knows if they're even where they ended up without J.P. France contributing the way that he did in the regular season, even Hunter Brown, you know, early. Um, so, yeah, look, they've had to rely upon young guys, and they're going to have to rely upon young guys again this year. Every team does to some degree, and the Astros have gotten major contributions um, more times than not from young, nondescript players every single year during this run. Um, whether it be pitching or hitting or fielding, one of the three. Um, not saying that you shouldn't anticipate that, but to bank on it is is a completely different thing. Look, if Melton earns the job, if it's just like no question out of spring training, this cat's ready. It looked cool. You know, who was the other cat? Uh, Durden this past spring training was mashing the baseball. I mean, how many times did you see him this year? You know, he wasn't ready. Or there was no room. Or, hell, maybe he just wasn't ready because there was opportunity for him to do something. And I think he got a cup of coffee, you know. Uh, but you were banking on Brantley over and over and over again because he particularly didn't answer the bell when given the opportunity. And I worry about that for a team that has, you know, and should have World Series aspirations for the foreseeable future. This window doesn't appear to be closing. It appears to be open. It just appears that somebody else is trying to fit through the damn thing too now and it's not just you it's the rangers and the mariners yeah my point i guess is without field those guys are findable like you can give a young guy a chance maybe you hit on him maybe he starts off really well and by july you go yeah we don't need it but typically you know you you, you can always go get that outfielder but from the get-go you need arms 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 that i mean to me that's what you spend the money on. And look, if, we're, if, if you're talking about the lineup, if that's what the discussion is, we need an outfielder for the lineup. What do you mean? The lineup with Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez, uh, Jose, uh, Jose Abreu, uh, Chaz McCormick. Uh, I mean, it's Yonner D. It's on and on. They, they're, they're, they're loaded in the lineup. I, I, you know, again, Astros fans, I know. Let's get an all-star at every position. I've watched a lot of baseball over my time, many, many years. That doesn't happen. I'm you know, saying you need an all-star, but somebody proven, you know, would make people feel a lot more comfortable, me in particular. Um, you don't got to break the bank for them, but somebody that's proven that has a track record. I don't know how many of those guys are available. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of other teams that are looking to chomp up those guys, but hey, let's be honest. I mean, it's not a lack of faith in the system. It's just that – for a team with these kinds of expectations and aspirations, um, you'd like the to Astro, hear your general manager say that, yeah. That's, the Astros that's, have that's a guy that's proven, too. though. His name is 
Mauricio Dubon. His name is Chaz McCoy. Those guys can play center field. It's not like they're incapable of doing it. I'm not saying they can't. I'm just saying you need depth there, and I want them to be a part of that depth. But it would be nice if you didn't have to have uh, one of your outfield spots as a turnstile. You know, um, Mauricio Dubon, once Michael Brantley was factored back into the equation, um, you know, towards the latter part of the end of the season, look, you knew Dubon's role on this team. I know he played more center field in the postseason, um, but he was your Swiss Army knife throughout the course of the year. If you needed him at second, boom, you had him. If you needed it short, boom, you had him in left and center. Didn't matter. He was that guy. Pinch hitter off the bench, late in the game situation, pinch runner, whatever the case may be. Go that's club. the role that I like him in. Yeah, I mean, just a tremendous year from him. And, yeah, it would it, it would be nice. I'm just saying I, I, I'm not worried about having a, a proven guy there because you, you can't you, – there are games – there are plenty of games you can play Dubon there and there are plenty of games you can play Chas McCormick there. And, you know, I mean, I know people don't like it, but – you do still have Jake Myers in the organization and you're in your paying for him. And I don't know for you know, how much look, longer. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like Jake Myers, he's proven he's, he, he, he can play defense. He can hit. He's yeah, just you not know what he is proven in that regard. You don't like, you don't like the proof in that pudding. Yeah. But he's the nine hole hitter in this lineup. Tell, t- is that, is it terrible if Jake Myers is your nine? It's better than Martin Maldonado is your nine hole hitter. Come on. It's, it's better but it's not uh, easy on the palate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, again, I, I look, I, I don't know, Sean, if you watched it, but the Astros, their they're seven, eight, nine hitters used to be Osmus, Everett, and the pitcher. Like, uh-huh. I, like I, I watched so much of that stuff. This Astro team, it's not like they're, they should be hurting for offense. It's, it's, it's kind of a joke how much, you know, they've got on this team, assuming that these guys show up, actually, they got to find the guy that's going to be charged with making those decisions uh, too. <laughs> I don't yeah. know who you think that's going to be. Yeah. The, the biggest problem the Astros have with their lineup is what, what matters to me is not a center fielder. What matters to me is Jose Abreu and Alex Bregman. You can't wait two months to start hitting the baseball. Like actually uh-huh. you might want to start hitting the baseball in April when the season starts instead of two months into the year. Because um, that that's something that just gets old after a while. Or start, so, yeah. start trying to hit it in like December, so they're good to go for late March, early April. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. With, with all the guys that we had at the WBC, and they and all, all those pitchers that we got ended up getting hurt and ended up having issues, where we got Altuve that broke his hand. The guys that maybe should would have helped them to, to be doing that would have been Bregman and Abreu because maybe they would have thought of that as their april instead of you know right instead of yeah, april yeah, is yeah. april so <laughs> right anyway um we'll uh, do this again on sunday another live texans post game show hope everybody's uh, gonna join us for that one as always until then we'll see you you're listening to houston sports talk hey don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on youtube you can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.